It's important to understand that these, these heroes of the faith that are listed in chapter 11, if you've never read chapter 11 in Hebrews or, or if you haven't read, read it in a long time, I want to encourage you to go back and read it this week. Read through all the incredible people that were deeply flawed and were just trying to follow God's direction. And we're going to look at, we're going to look at this crowd of people today, and we're going, to, we're going to consider the things that crowd faith out in our lives. There's several things that crowd faith out in our lives, but we're part of a long line of people, and that's what this, this uh, scripture is about, Hebrews 11.39. It says, not one of these people, talking about all these heroes of the faith, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. God had a better plan for us that their faith and our faith would come together to make one completed whole. Their lives of faith not complete apart from ours. What is he talking about? He's talking about all these heroes of the faith that hold, held on to the promise of the Messiah, the promise of Jesus, the promise of God coming into the world in a new way. They were holding on to this idea that God loved them and was for them. And they held on to it, even though they didn't see the promised Messiah come, he came and ushered in a whole new age so that now you and I, as we embrace faith in Christ, we join our faith with their faith. Their faith becomes whole with us. We become one group of people, God's people, that put our faith in him. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about, that we belong to one another, that we belong to God as his people, and our faith comes together like this. Look at verse one in chapter 12. It says, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we'd better get on with it, strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Another translation, I'm reading from the Message Bible, which is a modern day translation. Another translation says, the author and finisher of our faith. The author and perfecter of our faith. Here's what we have to get, is that Jesus is the one who begins our faith. One of the great mistakes we make is if we think we have to stir up the faith ourselves, we have to reach way down deep and get faith to come out. No, the faith comes from Jesus himself. He's the source of it. He gave every person in here a seed of faith. And as we begin to enact that faith in our lives, he is the, he's not only the source, but he's the perfecter of it. He's the finisher of it. And so he says here, he says, study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God he could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever, and now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. 
I love that line right there. You should underline that in your message notes. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. As I look out across the crowd right now, you look like you need a shot of adrenaline. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. When was the last time your faith gave you a shot of adrenaline? When was the last time you asked God to do the impossible? Thinking on that level, existing on that level with him, collaborating with what he's trying to accomplish in the earth, being a person who's thinking about what he wants to do. I mean, when was the last time you really decided to take a leap of faith? When was the last time you looked beyond the scraps of, of belief and lifted your head to imagine a life that's beyond what you can accomplish or what your own strength and abilities can create? When was the last time you stretched your faith out there? This is the life we're called to. This is life. Now, I'm not talking about faith for salvation. I'm not talking about faith for God's help. I'm not talking about faith for paying your bills. Although, every one of those things requires your faith and my faith. That's how we enter into the promise of God, is by faith. But what I'm talking about here is putting yourself out there for something that you believe God wants. I'm talking about dreaming big. I'm talking about a holy imagination that gets in touch with God's desires and his purposes and his destiny for you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to walk with God and please him. That's what the Amplified Bible says. You know, someone once said that there really is very little difference between people, but that little difference makes all the difference in the world. I don't know who said that. They sound really confused. But, the, but there's, this, there's this difference that you and I make in the world, and the difference is the faith that we carry around inside of us. What do we believe how do we carry that faith? This is so true. It's by walking, it's walking by faith and taking steps of faith that is the difference maker. Here's what I believe. There's something inside of every one of us that wants to live our lives beyond ourselves and beyond the expectations of others. I, I think, I believe there's something inside every one of us that realizes that our lives are meant for more than what we're currently experiencing the difference between just taking up oxygen here on this planet and actually being a part of something bigger than you are. This is what God has in mind. I believe God really does want us to do amazing things, you and I. He's called us to it. Two weeks ago, we launched this series talking about a word. That word was audacious. Audacious, it's a great word. It means audacious, one who is bold or daring, especially with confident disregard for personal comfort or conventional thought. Don't, don't succumb to the mold that the world wants to put you in or the, the script that you've been given in your life. God wants to do something beyond us. This is what God desires for us. Now sometimes, here's what happens. We don't actually embrace this kind of faith, but suddenly we are ushered to the edge of the cliff. <laughs> sometimes we are pushed 
by this life to the very edge of the cliff and we look there and the leap is before us and we had no intention of coming here to this cliff. You ever experienced that? I did two weeks ago. My wife had a small stroke early Sunday morning. Here, I'm gonna tell you the story of it. She woke up feeling all kind of um, just not herself. She just felt kind of heavy and, and like she couldn't, couldn't really function very well. She got in the shower and she's the kind of person who prays in the shower. She's actually the kind of person that talks to herself um, all, all day long. Like she'll be wandering around the house. She, I'll be like, what, what? I was talking to myself. I'll say, stop it. You're talking, I think you're talking to me. I'm just talking to myself. So she gets in the shower, she talks to herself, she prays. And so, um, so she gets out and she feel, it doesn't feel right. It's in the shower they first realize that she can't f- seem to form the words that she wants to. And just things weren't right. So she just got out of the shower. She came and laid down. I got up and w- went in to get in the shower. So we're all getting ready. You know, Sunday church is just coming and, and, and we're up early. And so uh, I hear the hairdryer um, as I'm in the shower and so the hairdryer's blowing and, and uh, suddenly the hairdryer turns off and I hear her say in this really like haunting tone, something's wrong. Actually, she said, Ross, something's wrong. She never calls me Ross. Sweetie, baby, stud. <laughs> but she says, Ross, something's wrong. And I could tell, you know how you can tell when something's wrong with a person? Like their tone is just wrong. And I said, so, babe, what's wrong? What's, what's the matter? And nothing. I, she, didn't, she couldn't say anything. I didn't hear anything. What, what's wrong, sweetheart, what's wrong? And I'm, I'm in the shower, so I'm finally I'm like, what is wrong? And I look out, and she's there. She's got her hand over her mouth, and she's crying her eyes out, and I don't know what's wrong. Something bad is wrong, though. I don't know if she's cut herself, hurt herself, if she's uh, found some news from somebody who texted her uh, that's really bad. I don't know what's going on. So, but, but very quickly, I realize she can't say it. She's like, I can't words, (laughs) can't words, that's all I got. And at that point, your mind starts to go through, what is happening here? This is not right. This is, this can't be happening. Is this, is this really happening? And so I, we, we started uh, towards the emergency room and, um, and we're, we're, we're getting ready to go and (laughs) she wants to finish drying her hair. I'm like, she doesn't want anybody to see her hair wet. In fact, her plan, she told me this later, my plan was to, I knew something was wrong and I probably would have to go to the emergency room, but I wanted to dry my hair and drive myself so that you could go to church and speak. <laughs> I know, isn't that crazy? That's a pastor's daughter, right? She, like her dad was a pastor. She knows what it means to, to wake up on Sunday. Anyway, I took her to the emergency room. We walked in, I say to the, to the guy, um, she can't talk. I don't even know how to, I don't even know what to say. She can't, she's having trouble speaking. He brings us around from the glass window and then he looks right at her and says, tell me what's wrong. <laughs> Did you not hear what I just said? I said, she can't speak. 
I didn't say it that aggressively. Maybe I did. I don't know. The, the intensity was pretty high. And so he takes us back to the, to the back. Once they figure out that something's going on here, everything springs into action. Everything just came out of the, uh, of the hospital. People came out of different rooms, and they got her hooked up. And it was an incredible experience. They did a great job. Two ambulance rides and three hospitals later, we're sitting up in this hospital in Temple and, uh, and, and, and just waiting. And, and she had a, about, I've told you this already, but I just she hasn't had any symptoms since that day. Not one symptom. She had, she had um, uh, for about three hours, her speech was slurred from time to time. It only, really, the episode only lasted about 45 minutes. And, and then she, she steadily increased throughout the day. And, and they're still trying to figure it out. We have a blood work uh, appointment next week, and they're still working on why this really happened, and there's some theories that they have, and we'll keep chasing that down. But here, here's what I want to tell you. One of the specialists who's looked at her MRI and looked at several of the other tests, he said, he said now it, you can see where the stroke happened, and it looks like it was a by his own expertise, this is what he says, his words, not mine. It looks like there was a pretty significant clot, but for some reason it dissipated very quickly. When I got out of that shower and she was standing there and she's crying and she doesn't know what to do, I laid my hands on her and I started praying for her. I started asking Jesus to touch her. I asked him to release her. I asked him to heal her. I asked whatever was going on, he knows it. He knows her body better than anybody else. He designed it. Heal it right now. I believe Jesus started touching her. I believe that we saw her improve quickly. She's tired a lot these days, but that's pretty normal for a person who has suffered a stroke. And she's making her way back. She's here this morning at 11.30 service. And I'm so happy for her. Um, But here's the thing. When that happens, you have a choice to make. You act in faith or you go another way. And so I, I think sometimes we're ushered to the edge of the cliff and we got to take the leap. You got no choice. You stare mortality in the face and suddenly you realize I have nothing except to hold on to faith. James 4.14 says, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You know, it never ceases to amaze me. Life goes pretty quick. Today is the six-year anniversary of one chapel. You're six years old. Happy birthday. I, I didn't know that we would be where we are with three communities. I didn't see, I didn't know how that would happen. It seems like I just blinked, and here we are. My kids, you're, you know, I, I see them growing and two of them are already off to college. It is incredible how fast it goes. And the reality is you can go through life without ever having to tap into God, the God vision for your life. The vision that requires faith. The reality is you can go through this life with ever having, with ever, without ever having to engage in an audacious faith. The reality is you can go through this life settling for much, much less than what God created you for. The reality is you can go through this life without ever seeing God show himself mightily on your behalf. Why? Because there are so many things that crowd faith out of our lives. There's so many things that crowd faith out of our life. I'm going I'm to give you three of them. Here we go, very quickly. Number one is fear. Fear. 
our culture, our society is full of fear. We are afraid of who's going to be president. <laughs> we are afraid. We are afraid of, of uh, the economy. We are afraid of terrorism. We are fearful that our careers are not going to go the way we thought they would go. We are fearful that our kids are not going to get every chance to be the fulfilling people that they're supposed to be because we were lousy parents. We can't, you, we can't live in that. That's not God's design for us. Look at this story where the Israelites, God's people, were getting ready to go into the promised land. And they, they sent in some spies, and those spies came back and gave them a report. And this is that report. It says, this is their report to Moses in Numbers 13. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. And the Amalekites live there in the Negev and the Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. I love Caleb. We're going to talk about Caleb in the next few weeks. But he says, we could certainly conquer it, verse 31. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes there. All the people we saw were huge we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. They projected onto them. The fear in their lives projected onto the people what they were thinking. They had no idea. But that's what fear does. It projects onto others what we're thinking. Now, if you remember this story, God told the Israelites, that he was giving the land to them. He was offering it to them, but they had to go in and take it and possess it. And they had to do that by faith. So they sent in these spies and fear began to grip them because of what they saw. And as a result, they acted out in fear instead of faith and they missed out on what God had in store for them. Two of the spies who went in, there was only two spies who went in at that very moment that ended up possessing the promised land. Everybody else died. 40 years in the wilderness, that whole first generation, because they chose to act in fear, missed out on the promised land. Fear is the thing that crowds out faith. It pushes it out. And, and we're called to have faith in our hearts about what God is capable of, not what we're capable of. And this is interesting because fear and faith kind of are, they, they have this inverse relationship because in a way in a strange way fear is faith because fear is simply believing that something bad's going to happen in your future fear is simply believing that you're not going to get the job fear is believing that your child's going to die that you're going to fail fear is this thing that takes over but genuine faith is believing in what god says will happen fear is, or faith is believing that what god has in store for you is good Faith is believing that no matter what happens, your life is in his hands. I'm not saying that faith allows you to escape all the difficulty and challenges of our lives. We live in a broken planet. 
God's plan is to restore this place to its original creation. His plan is to restore every heart and every person. That's what he desires to do. That's coming. That's where we put our faith. Jesus himself comes into this world 2,000 years ago as a way to join us in our suffering and to offer a new way of dealing with it. I'm not talking about escaping all the suffering. What I'm talking about is having faith in the one who can comfort you beyond what anybody else can ever say. The one who can heal you more than any other doctor, more than any, 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 anybody else can do, that that faith, you hold on to him. See, fear and faith are the same coin, just different sides. But the question then is, if fear and faith kind of have this same, this relationship, how do you actually conquer fear? How do we make faith grow and fear shrink? Well, look at this verse, 1 John 4, 18. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Some of you are like, well, I thought faith is the thing that gets rid of fear. Well, yes, but where does faith come from? It is faith in God's love for us that begins to crowd out fear. While fear and faith are two sides of the same coin, we're not just flipping a coin every so often trying to get it to land on the right place. That's not how it works. Our faith is not in an outcome. It is in a person. And that person loves you and I deeply. And once you settle that he really loves you and that he's for you, once you settle that faith is actually believing that he is for you, that he loves you and is with you, then you can be full of faith. Fear is not, fear is, is not something that can stand in the face of love. When you're loved, you're protected. My relationship with my wife, I know she loves me. I know that she cares about me. I have, I have faith in our relationship. I have security as a husband. I am, I am confident as a dad. She encourages me. She loves me. She thinks I'm way better than I really am. Let's just be honest. I get done with the messages and, and, and I, I call her on the, so how did I do today? How's it going? She always says I was awesome. I know she's lying half the time, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> There's something that causes security and a settledness. Number two, number two thing that crowds out our faith is self-reliance. Self-reliance is simply independence, self-sufficiency, an autonomous approach to life. Now our culture celebrates what would be called a rugged individualism. American values are about self-reliance, can-do attitude, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, make it happen. This is the culture we live in. For many people, it's shameful to even admit that you can't do it alone. We respect people who are self-made. This is not God's plan. This is not even his desire. Some of you are sitting here and you're looking at me and you're saying, Pastor Ross, I, if I don't make something happen, nothing will happen. You don't understand what I'm facing. What I understand is that God wants to show himself faithful to you. And if you will activate faith, 
the faith that you have internally instead of rely on yourself. Have you ever heard the term, the ace in the hole? Ace in the hole, it's a, it's a term from cards. I, I, I'm not a big card player. Uh, uh, so um, I, I had to look it up. <laughs> and here's what it said. Check this out. An ace in the hole is a hidden advantage or resource kept in reserve until needed. I think this is how we act with God. The term comes from the game of stud poker in which one or more cards are turned face down or in the hole as bets are placed. And the ace is the card with the highest value. Everybody say highest value. Highest value. Okay, so the ace is, ace is the highest value card. And so, so the question then is, what happens as the game starts to unfold? You know you still have an ace in the hole. And you're just waiting for the time, the right time to play it. Here's the problem. Here in America, you know what? We're incredibly blessed. We have amazing medicines, incredible doctors. We have fulfilling jobs. Most of you don't have to just work to eat. You're searching for something that will be fulfilling to you. That's an American idea. There's, a, there's, there's this, <laughs> this idea that we have a, a, a warm place to live or a cool place to live, as in the case of Texas. It's like you, you have, most of you have air conditioning in your car and in your home. It's called bought air. You have bought, you've bought the air. As in, close the door, you're letting out the bought air. <laughs> That's the place we live. We live in a place like this, where most, most of you eat every single day. Most of you, several times a day. We're blessed by being able to live in freedom and, and on top of all those things, you add the fact that you have abilities and you have talents and skills and intellectual prowess. You, we have all this in our culture. You have it available at your fingertips. Most of you, almost all of you, can instantly get online, Amazon Prime, and have something in your doorstep that you wanted in 48 hours or less. Some things in one day. What is it? Amazon or Prime Now? Isn't that what it is? That's so awesome. Same day service. You, you, you get online, you ask for it, and it's there. And that'll cost you. But we have it available. And so here's the thing. There's, you really don't need God. You really don't need him for anything. Our prosperity is so incredible. Everybody in the room is in the top 3% of prosperous people in the world. If you're measuring the world. So we don't really need anything. Oh, you may say you need God. You're like, yes, oh, I know I really need God. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't come through, if things don't turn out like you want it, you always have the ace in the hole. You know what it is? It's your own abilities, your own skills, your own opportunities. I have these things that I can turn to to help me and to meet my needs and desires. I heard a guy say one time, when all else fails, pray. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to pray first. Be filled with faith first. Listen to what God is saying to you and then follow him. Look at this in Matthew 19, 16 through 26. This is a story. Jesus is, is facing a, a man who is rich and prosperous. He says, another day a man stopped Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you question me about what's good? God is the one who's good. If you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you. 
Oh, well, there it is. You should, you should circle that. There it is. You want to enter the life of God? Just do what he tells you. The man asked what in particular Jesus said. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as you do yourself. The young man said, I've done all that. What's left? If you want to give it all you got, Jesus replied, go sell your possessions, give everything to the poor. All your wealth will then be in heaven. Then come and follow me. That was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things. And he couldn't bear to let go. As he watched him go, Jesus told his disciples, do you have any idea how difficult it is for the rich to enter God's kingdom? Let me tell you, it's easier to gallop a camel through a needle's eye than for the rich to enter God's kingdom. And the disciples were staggered. Then who has any chance at all, they said. Jesus looked hard at them and said, no chance at all if you think you can pull it off yourself. Every chance in the world if you trust God to do it. This is what Jesus is asking of us. Here's how A.W. Tozer said it. Check this out. Money often comes between men and God. Someone has said, you can take two small 10-cent pieces like the ones I have here. Just two dimes and shut out the view of a panoramic landscape. Go to the mountains and just hold two coins closely in front of your eyes. The mountains are still there, but you cannot see them at all because there is a dime shutting off the vision in each eye. It doesn't take large quantities of money to come between us and God. Just a little placed in the wrong position will effectively obscure our view. Isn't that good? Self-reliance does this. It crowds out our faith. Finally, the third thing is secret sin. Secret sin. I want you to look at 1 John 5 through 10. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I want you to underline verse seven. Underline verse seven. Look at what it says. Three things. Number one, walk in the light. Don't walk in darkness. Don't walk in hiddenness. Don't, don't walk with a, with a secret that, that, that only you know. I, this is what I love about Darren's story is he realized there was a secret way that he was tempted to live, to meet his needs on his own terms, to meet the pain with his own devices. What God wanted him to do was trust him to relieve him of the pain. And that's what happened, isn't it, Darren? The pain is totally relieved since that day. He's never had the kind of pain he had before those pills. And there is an incredible thing when you decide you're gonna live this way and live in the light. Walking in the light means vulnerability. It means opening yourself up to others. The second thing it says is fellowship. You have fellowship with one another. When you walk in the light, when you walk with no secrets, you have fellowship with one another. This is koinonia, this is partnership, participation with each other in your life. This is what's created when we share vulnerability with one another. The blood of Jesus works best in community. Look at what happens when he, when you, when he says walk in the light and then he says you'll have fellowship and then he says the blood of Jesus purifies your sin. Now look, here's the problem, here's the problem. I'm not saying that 
there is any sin or any failure or any foolishness that's too big for the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus can tackle any problem, any issue, any struggle. The blood of Jesus is stronger than every sin that we can ever commit. The problem is not with the blood. The problem is with the application of it. We try to apply it in isolation. We try to apply it in indiv- as an individual instead of as a community. We don't practice our faith as a community. And when we don't practice it as a co- our faith as a community, we get to deal with all the stuff in our head, all the self-talk, all the crazy stuff, all the enemy coming against us and accusing us and saying we'll never make it, it'll never happen. You gotta fight that with faith. The paralyzing fear, the self-reliance, the secret sins. We gotta get rid of it all because it crowds out our faith. Instead, we gotta, we gotta be willing to trust that God really loves us, that he really loves us, that we settle that issue. We gotta trust, we gotta trust that he will come through for us and we, we, instead of relying just on ourselves, we rely on him. And then finally, we gotta live in the community that he's placed us in with openness and honesty and vulnerability. I want you to close your eyes right now. The mistake we make, the mistake we make is we try to fight off the secret sins on our own. We can't do that. Don't fight the secret sins on your own. I wanna, I wanna come to the Lord's table right now and I want, you to, I want you to take a moment. I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Whatever's going on in your life, I want you to come to this table and receive provision from Jesus himself. You see, Jesus set this table for you. You see, the bread represents his body broken for you. The cup represents his blood spilled for you and I. Forgiving our sins, healing our hearts, filling us with faith. You gotta have faith to come to this table, but you gotta, first you gotta believe that he loved you so much The scripture says God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes would not perish, would not die, but have eternal life. I want you to come and receive his life today. Whatever secret sin is trying to find its way into your soul, you make a commitment today to eradicate it by involving yourself in community, by sharing it with somebody today. Whatever self-reliance is here, you come and lay it down at the foot of the cross. You come and leave it with Jesus and then receive his provision at this table. Whatever fears you have, come, come and give them to, to him. Receive his love in return. Father, we come to you and we just come to this table now. Would you help us in our innocence? Help us in our unbelief? Help us, Lord. Those of us who are really wrestling and struggling, would you just give us your grace and mercy? And then would you fill us with who you are as we come to the table together? In Jesus' name, amen.